My name is Max Gagliardi, and you're listening to the Talk Energy Podcast. If you're watching this video, take a moment, hit the subscribe button on YouTube, or you can follow me on your favorite podcast app. You could leave us a review. That would help the cause. You can also check out our energy company's weekly newsletter. That's Ancova Energy. Uh, we give market updates. We have pricing in there. That's A-N-C-O-V-A on Substack. Check it out. We send out a once a week newsletter. I think you'll like it. This episode's guests are Russell English and Ty Zeman. Russell is the CEO and Ty is the CFO of Trailhead Exploration. I've known and worked with these guys for years and they've put together an impressive company with Trailhead, building a leading position in Oklahoma's Marietta Basin. This episode, we discuss the challenges of building an oil and gas company from the ground up. We talk about the Marietta Basin and the deep wells that they're drilling. We get into the technical side of their operations, including reservoir dynamics, drilling considerations, infrastructure build out and service costs. Lastly, we talk about the current state of the small oil and gas producer world, capital in the space and opportunities on the horizon. Hope you enjoy the show. Guys, welcome to Talk Energy. Thanks for coming on. Hey. Hey, Max. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm happy to have you guys on. We've known each other for a while, have worked together, have uh, got to see the success that you guys have had. And just it's it's interesting because, like, you guys are around, I think, around my age and seeing entrepreneurs in the oil and gas industry and what you guys have been able to do. And so I just thought it would be fun, um, a lot to talk about. And uh, I'm glad you guys carved out the time. Absolutely. So, yeah. So kicking kicking off, I mean, I know your background and stories, but maybe just tell everybody who you guys are, and then we'll uh, and maybe just some of your background kind of go from there. Yeah, um, I, I guess I'll start here. Uh, Russell English, CEO here at Trailhead Exploration. Uh, my background, of OU grad. Um, PLM or energy management and uh, had an internship with XTO Energy down here in Fort Worth and uh, really enjoyed that. Got got on full time in the land department there and, and worked there for about 10 years uh, until the uh, Exxon merger, uh, actually after the merger, once they were getting ready to, to make the move down to uh, the big Exxon campus and and spring woodlands area um, decided with a couple of us uh, here at XTO that we wanted to wanted to do something different and uh, do something smaller and be more entrepreneurial and so we um, ventured off and and got our heads together and started Trailhead. Yeah, Ty, go ahead. Yeah, that's so I. Uh, uh, I'm conflicted in a trailhead. I'm a longhorn, um, and we've got a, got a handful of Sooners. We finally got the better of them uh, for my first time with trailhead this this past <laughs> year, past fall. Um, but yeah, started so business degree from UT. Um, wanted to do investment banking, but wanted to stay in Texas, and so that kind of led me to the energy industry uh, in Houston. I was with Wells Fargo and in their investment banking group for. Uh, about three years before I got connected with uh, a guy named Steve Pruitt, who was starting Elevation Resources out in Midland uh, as a Pinebrook back company. Um, who you guys are familiar with, Max, and and uh, what was uh, intended to be a two to three year deal uh, before you start the next one is now Steve. Steve still getting after it out there, um, coming up on almost a decade with Elevation, same, same iteration, same assets. Um, I left in 2019 um, when I met, got connected with Russell and, and Bryant and Josh. They were uh, they just gotten started and and uh, we're we're talking with old Ironsides and so uh, timing kind of made sense and so jumped jumped back to the Metroplex and from from this area. So um, joined those guys about a little over three years ago. I was going to ask you. She said you're from that area. Russell, are you from uh, that area as well, or where did you grow up? I am. Yeah, I grew up in Dallas, um, Highland Park High School, and um, mom went to UT, and I, I decided to be the trader and go go north to OU. Yeah. Uh, Fort Worth is cool. Like, I haven't spent a ton of time there, but it's like an underrated city in Texas, I think. It's like, you know, Dallas is, I don't know, it's probably not for me. I mean, there's a lot in Dallas, you know, uh, a lot out there, and Houston's just huge and crazy. Uh, Austin's just nuts with the how crowded it is and 
you know, it's just, it's, I just feel like Fort Worth, like the last time we went and we hung out with you guys, I uh, hadn't really spent much time kind of downtown and it's just such a cool city. You guys uh, still enjoying it and having, having the office there? Yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, Fort Worth has a good, good vibe. It's a little, a little bit laid back, but um, so it has the kind of like, you know, Western culture, but uh, downtown they've done a good, good job with. Uh, and, you know, now that people are, back to the office it's a little more vibrant than it was the last few years <laughs> definitely it just feels that laid back uh feel to it so uh i enjoy visiting we need to get down there another time soon but one thing i want to ask you guys is kind of just like the skill set you feel like you know the things that you learned at your prior jobs and maybe ty because you were sort of in a private equity backed uh entity you know uh maybe it was a little different because you got to see it but uh, Russell, really from you, kind of like the skills you learned at XTO, they, you know, laid the foundation for uh, being able to go out and start something on your own and just talk to uh, how that, you know, how you matured to that point, the skills you learned and how that helped propel you into what you're doing today. Yeah, um, I think I think a place like XTO was uh, unique in the, and maybe not unique in the sense that a lot of large Large companies are, are a good place to learn um, and build your foundation, uh, get exposed to a lot of different things and different assets. And, and that was kind of my experience in the land department um, and and moved through, you know, work in Fayetteville initially to work in uh, Midcon and then and then more generally uh, kind of portfolio enhancement and work um, through the Exxon merger and, and trimming the portfolio mostly is, uh, is what they were doing there. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, you don't get to scratch that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial itch as much at, at a big shop like that. Um, but just the, just the exposure and the, the rate they were growing at was just, was crazy. Um, you know, with the shale boom and, and, you know, you're, <laughs> well familiar with with chesapeake and and those you know they, they were here in fort worth too and it was crazy times uh, for a while after the barnett kicked off and then and all the various plays kind of went through their uh, development um and so that you know there were a lot of things that um that i didn't know uh that you just learn on the fly um, right. when you when you jump out and uh, all the back office stuff and the and the insurance and the benefits and the HR stuff and um, some fun stuff, some not as fun, but it's uh, it's been a, a wild ride, but thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, let Ty share his experience. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I think um, joining Wells Fargo uh, is a very interesting time in the industry. Is this, I, I graduated in 2010. And the year, you know, we were on the heels of the financial crisis. And so business, business student internships were really tough to come by in, in the summer of 09. And so just find, finding a job, it, you know, was great. And the investment banking analysts, uh, there was a gap year where they didn't hire anybody in, in 09. And the, the, uh, some of the stories, not all the stories about investment banking are, are accurate, but the hours are, are real. And, uh, yeah. And they were itching to have a low man on the totem pole, and so we we were there finally. Um, and then, I mean, I was excited to do it uh, for sure. But it, it kind of coincided with you know an oil and gas boom, especially on the capital raising side. And Wells Fargo was doing a ton of uh, equity deals, um, debt deals for for MLPs primarily um, that did a handful of upstream ones as, as well. Um, but it, it just, it was a, it was a really cool time to be there. And so you learned how to work quickly. You, you hone analytical skills. You learned a lot about a, a bunch of different companies. And so, um, you know, that, that skill set's kind of irreplaceable for me. Um, but ultimately what I wanted to do was something where I'd like, I'm more in the weeds kind of guy. And so with, you know, as best making analysts, you're, um, you're touching a lot of different deals and a lot of different companies. And so you don't get to, you know, hone in on, on the business. And so that's, that's what my move out to, to Midland and with, with elevation resources was, was like, okay, let's, let's, you know, do this to help, help your business or aid it, you know, the business you're working for. And so that, 
Um, the skills that I learned there have uh, at Wells have, have transferred, you know, to to the energy space, and and uh, and it's it's I learned the business in Midland, and that's that's what was was awesome. And admittedly, we I, we had a great back office, so I didn't do any of the accounting work, and um, it's not not really my background, um, and so. Uh, I took for granted some of that stuff that that Steve and the team had in place already at, at Elevation. Um, coming to Trailhead, we, we outsource our accounting, but it's it's ultimately running running through me. And there's there's a lot of stuff, as Russell mentioned, that you don't that's that's not not very sexy uh, when, when you're thinking about starting a business and making making um, you know making everything work. You just don't. You know, it's a lot more fun to decide when and where to drill well or which acquisition to do than to than to determine you know what insurance provider you're going to use or yeah yeah for sure. I think that's like there's a lot about being an entrepreneur or starting a business that's not very sexy and there's it gets kind of demyst it's like demystified once you do it. You know, like you get in and you do it and you're like this is actually just really kind of gritty day to day. You're just like trying to get the stuff done you need to do. There's no real blueprint uh, or roadmap. It's kind of like, I, I hope that the things I'm doing today and this week and this year are the right things I need to do, but no one's like really telling you. And then it's only in retrospect, can you see like, okay, that was a good call. This maybe I would have done differently. But I'm interested to hear just kind of like the story of, you know, Trailhead and how it got together. I know, Russell, you knew some of the guys from XTO. I don't know when you guys met Ty. Was it like a... Uh, we sat down over beers and we're just like, we got to go do something, make a move. Was there like one moment? Had it been like a building thing? And then whenever uh, yep. the decision was made, like how'd you meet old Ironsides and just walk me through kind of the genesis of uh, what you guys are doing today. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, during that time period when, um, you know, people were starting to, to leave XTO uh, prior to that move, um, had, you know, thought about, yeah, maybe it's time to, to do something, you know, it's been nearly a decade here and learned a lot, ready to, to scratch that entrepreneurial itch and, um, uh, was already friends, acquaintances with, with Josh Duvall, our COO. Um, he was a reservoir engineer by background. Um, and I worked a number of assets within XDO and, and, and even some in the field too. And then, um, worked his way up into a planning, uh, role, which was more, uh, more of a corporate kind of business role. Um, and we, we got to talking, pitching around some ideas and, and just got excited about it. Um, and then, uh, Bryant Capriva, our geologist, one of our geologists was, was also at XTO at the time. Um, and he, I knew him through, um, he had worked the Bakken a little bit and he was, uh, a couple years younger than us, but, uh, a bright guy. And I think we were just at a happy hour or something and, and we're talking about, you know, that'd be pretty cool to put something together. And, and so we just, we just started meeting on the weekends and, um, you know, nothing, uh, we had to be pretty careful initially just kind of because um, it was just a, a weird atmosphere at XDO. But, um, and, and so we, we decided let's do this. And so we, we jumped off um, and I guess uh, I'll backtrack a little bit, but before, right before we did um, one of my brother's good friends, Patrick Halpin, um, who's with Silver Hill energy partners. Um, you know, they had, couple years before uh, had a wildly successful exit of their uh, kind of loving county position um, to um, uh, RSP. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm drawing a blank there. And um, they were kind of thinking, what what do we do next? What do we do? We want to do it again, taking some time off. Um, and decided they kind of wanted to seed some younger teams a little bit. And um, at least that's what they were thinking at the time. And, and so they graciously gave us some, some GNA just to get, just to get it together, get some software, start pitching ideas. Uh, and they really helped us out a lot tremendously on um, not only with office space, we literally we officed in their offices in Dallas for about a year. 
um, commuted over there every day. And then uh, not only that, but just honing our, our, our pitch book and how, how to look at things and how to raise capital. And um, so we, we started small with them. We eventually convinced them and some other private investors that, that through their relationships uh, to come on board. And we, we bought a little bit of non-op uh, down in, in this Love County prospect. Um, started liking the results and realized there was there was really a bigger opportunity there and more leasehold available than we thought. Um, and so then we went on a larger capital raise. Um, and I guess about that time is when we first got introduced to Ty. I think it was through Bryant um, and one of his friends. Were y'all on a trip? Um, <laughs> seemingly yeah, we, uh, in Midland, there's some... Um, the, uh, a good young com- professional community and, and uh, Elevation was going through a sales process uh, with RBC and so kind of looking around to see what was next and so Sam Beckham um, is, a, is a college buddy of Brian's another ge- a geologist in the industry um, and he introduced me to Brian this was actually when you guys are still at XTO it was pretty early in 2018 <laughs> talking about it and 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 then I think, you know, then you got, we, we stayed in touch. The timing didn't, didn't make sense. You know, it's always hard to, to you know, it helps when you're all at XTO, right? Um, and yeah. it can kind of, but to, to put the team together, it's always hard to, uh, for, for stuff, you know, for everybody's timing to sync up in order to make sense to, to, to leave what you're doing. You know, there's always, there's always, uh, uh, you know, a cost to that, right? Like, what are you leaving? What are you giving up? And what, you know, what's the, what's the benefit of joining and the timing kind of, it took about a year for the timing to, to kind of sync up. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Ty joined us in the, over at Silver Hills offices um, for a little while before. Um, and, you know, with our capital raise, we, um, we got introduced to, I guess, since you asked, we got introduced to Ironsides um, through Silver Hill uh, they, you know, they were Kane Anderson backed, but um, they had gotten to a point at, at one point in their iteration before they, um, you know, scaled it larger. They, they thought they were going to need some more capital um, outside of Kane, and so they pitched to a number of, of different groups, and, and one of them they came close to inking a deal with was was Ironsides uh, before Kane decided um, to go in bigger, um, and they just really liked them and said we're going to put these guys on your list. We really like them. I think you need to talk to them. Um, and so that's, that's how that happened, which is kind of, you know, um, they're a unique group being in, in Boston. You don't think of energy, yeah. oil and gas, uh, especially, uh, but uh, obviously a capital hub. So, uh, and they have some Fort Worth relationships too, um, actually. So. Uh, yep. That's great. I uh, got a chance to talk to one of the guys, I think, Ty, you had uh, gave me an intro a while back. This is probably a couple of years ago, maybe before COVID or around COVID, but yeah. seemed really sharp. And um, <clears throat> I've heard good things from other people. And I want to talk more later on in the episode about kind of the private equity space right now and everything going on. But uh, before that, let's just talk about this asset, what you guys have going on, uh, you know, without disclosing things that you can't. I mean, a lot of what you're doing, it's out there. You're drilling wells so people can see kind of where you're at. But just... Uh, the asset and give the overview um, that you can, and then uh, anything else that you want to share about what you guys have going on at Trailhead. And we'll, we'll get in some of the, the details there. Yeah. Um, I've talked a little bit more here. So Ty, if you want to kick it off and I'll jump in. Sure. Yeah. So we're, we're focused in, in Love County, Oklahoma, which is about as, we're about as far South in Oklahoma as you can get. Uh, we're, we're right along the red river there. Um, so if we, I-35 cuts Love County in half. Uh, most people know Windstar, where Windstar Casino is, so we, that's usually the, the landmark. We're about 10 miles northeast of there in what's called the Marietta Basin. Um, it's a very unique basin. Uh, most people haven't heard of it, uh, and that's probably because of the, the size and also the players that are in the basin are not, not big promoters of it, and, and we haven't been either until we kind of got our land position together and, and set up a rig. Uh, and so the basin kind of works northwest to southeast, uh, getting deeper as you work your way to the southeast. Um, some of the players are, that, that have positions in the basin are well-known. 
um, in the industry, including Continental, um, Camino as a position through, through 89 Energy that, that they have. Uh, Kaiser Francis has a unit and, and, and a handful of non-operated interests in, in the basin. And then the primary operator that's been active over the last decade is XTO Energy and, and then us, of course. Uh, and XTO has been uh, very active in the base and they, you know, we like to tell folks they, you know, when, when COVID uh, hit our industry, uh, hit the world and, and, and impacted our industry, XTO went from 50 some odd rigs in the lower 48 down to, down to about nine. And they were running eight rigs in, in the Permian Basin and one rig in the Marietta Basin. And so we, we tell that story because it, it, it shows the quality of, of rock in, in, our, in our basin. And, and uh, we, we were grateful for it because they continue to improve and, and delineate um, the basin. Our primary target is the Woodford Shale. Um, there's a uh, that, that's where most of the development has been. A, a secondary, I should should our geologists would call it a second primary target um, is is the Caney Shale, uh, which is part of the Mississippian Horizon, sits on top of the Woodford, and has been there, there's a handful of Caney wells, uh, a lot of data taken in the Caney, and something that we're we're looking hard at as a as a next you know, development target. Um, but in the basin, there's there's probably 70 plus Woodford horizontals. So it's not like we're, you know, it, it's not. It, it, it's yeah. And so there's there's been quite a bit. The, the biggest uh, what people probably think of when they think of the Marietta Basin, if they have heard it, is is the depth. So we're we're seven. We're trailheads operating is 16 to 17,500 feet vertical depth, um, and then we're kicking off horizontal from there. And so what's unique about the basin is that we have uh, a large liquids component at those depths. Most people would assume it's a gas play, uh, but we're, our EURs are anywhere from 40 to 60% oil. Um, and so that's, that's what, and, and the depth is, is a meaningful component of our, of our story, of our thesis, uh, which, is, which is pressure. The pressure that comes with the depth is, has made the play um, and, and the fact that there's oil at those depths has made the play uh, unique and, and you know, we believe profitable for us. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's what we've focused on. And, and I would add, we've got a handful of ancillary businesses. We're all in on the Marietta Basin. We, we, you know, we've been putting together a mineral position, um, both under uh, San XTO that, that we've got. Uh, and we've got a, a, a pipeline uh, that's that's helping get our gas to market. We've got a, an SWD well now just south of the basin that uh, is handling our water. We've got a surface uh, we call it call it a ranch. It's 160 acres. We we, we built a pad there and, and we use that um, for field office and storage. Uh, and and so um, we're really we're all in on the Marietta Basin uh, at this point. We we really believe in it. Um, and, and like the results we're seeing. Real quick on that, uh, just the history of that, because I know that Oklahoma is really interesting to me being in the industry. I'm from Oklahoma, and I I remember the thing that hit me when I first got into oil and gas was just the history around the state and all these different areas. You know, like, is there any, like, thing you guys can just talk about the Marietta Basin and some of the history there? And, like, I have I don't know the answer to this, and maybe you guys don't follow the, the back history, but who was kind of, like, when did that discovery happen? And just some of any type of history yeah. you can give on, on that area, I think would be interesting uh, to me personally. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's a little unique in that um, it, it doesn't have a, a lot of you know historic production, um, at, at least in the basin, uh, primarily due to the depth. Um, you know, back in twenty early twenty tens, kind of vintage is when um, XDO has had a big program going in, in the Ardmore Basin, just just you know, 15 miles up the road, um, mostly Carter, Johnston, Marshall counties, um, and then and you know that was a, a shale gas play primarily. There were some liquids there, but um, and then they they started leasing, and, and Continental had a had a position as well down here in, in Love, uh, kind of Western Love County area, um, and then tried to pick off some stuff a little more central kind of I-35 corridor. Uh, and they drilled a test well, I believe it was 2011-ish um, was the first one, the, the McKay well. 
um, which, uh, you know, had had some difficulties, but um, turned it on. And, and I think we're surprised by the liquid component. I, I think that was not the expectation. Um, and, and then through that um, kind of said, well, maybe there's something here. And, you know, in the meantime, commodities cycles, um, you know, do their thing and, and um, people start looking for oil plays and in uh, an unconventional sense. And uh, this stacked up pretty well, I think. So they, they started uh, primarily XTO and Continental through, through a couple of rigs down here and, uh, you know, started developing one mile wells. You know, this is early, early in the shale days. And um, yeah, so they, they kind of started the, uh, started to drill a little further east and, and kind of just going unit by unit, kind of not a lot of competition and, and just, you know, leasing up. It, it was lesser known um, and people were uh, a lot busier up in northern parts of Oklahoma at the time. Um, so it kind of flew under the radar, honestly, uh, which is which was advantageous for, for our group as well. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of that's kind of what I thought. I just didn't know if there had been any prior to that, you know, some of these areas, they were like, they had a history and then it went away or didn't, you know, and then with the new technology, it came back, but it makes sense because of the depth. And, uh, these are some, these are some big boy wells. Why don't you guys talk about, I mean, you mentioned the total, uh, the total depth, but for the layman here who doesn't think in, uh, can, you know, turn that into miles, like how deep you said the number of feet, but you know, it's like 5,000 something feet in a mile, but like, these are, these are significant, uh, in terms of vertical depth and horizontal. So these are some really, uh, I mean, kind of like modern engineering marvels, to be honest, guys. I'm not trying to sound too over the top, but what we can do today with technology in this basin is especially, uh, you know, benefiting from that. But just talk about the these wells and the challenges and opportunities with drilling them. Yeah, yeah I, I would say our, that was our biggest risk coming into the basin was was – drilling timelines and and difficulty and then and then the cost associated with that and and you know we felt we could you know we, we watch xto we're in it in all the wells that are all the modern wells are all the wells in the last like three or four years and so we watched them and and uh and uh, you know they're, they're a solid operator we felt like we could improve upon that and and uh and we started to do that but that that was the biggest risk and to answer your question max it's you know it's you're talking three miles over three miles yeah. deep. And we're kicking out another mile and a half. XCOs push the limits in some some areas a little bit shallower. Um, you know, it's just almost thirty thousand feet measured depth. And so when you start to do that, our, our, our engineering team will tell you the 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 type of rig you need is is very specific. The type of tools you need is very specific, and uh, and so it's uh, you start to push the limits of of certain equipment that can only get so far. And so uh, that said, what happened, and so I would say our, it's, a, it's a little bit different of a shale play um, in that sense, because it's, you know, while maybe collectively the lower 48 can improve at the same time, um, and, and you can move it, our basin is improving at a, at a different rate. I mean, there's only a couple of players active in it because of the, the acreage is locked up, but then also it's just it's different the depth is different and so just over the last like six months we're starting to see like rapid improvements and in, in the drilling timelines and so what you know was you know our initial afe was about 90 days of, of drilling which is like mind-blowing to it was mind-blowing to me but to, to most people in the industry they're like you know oh my gosh yeah. that was and, kind of the base in the average yeah, and so and we were right around that on our first well, and so we, we were really pleased with that. Um, you know, fast forward to today, we, I mean, I would say we've seen wells in the basin that have been 150, 180 days. So just, just a you know full disclosure, but the, over the last uh, few wells in the basin, um, we're seeing days trend down into the 50s and even into the wow. 40s days drilling, and so it's not it's just like any other basin that that you see this improvement. It's just happening at a different different rate here, a different different time because of the uniqueness of it and the number of operators participating in it. And so I say we're we're really excited because that's that's like just a game changer for us is getting those those drilling days down um, and repeatable and and it, it's just 
it's just what our industry does. And so we knew it happened, but it, you know, it's always exciting to see it firsthand and not, not be running some, some model that, that we're pushing out there. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. My dad's a geologist. And when he was telling me about when they were first steering horizontal wells, uh, years back and he's like, man, it's like trying to write your name on a chalkboard with a, you know, a 20 foot pole. And he's <laughs> like, it's just, it's not like the easiest thing in the world. What other challenges on the drill side other than depth? Like is the rock types? I mean, can you, as you go through different uh, formations, is it uh, like, you know, the type of bit that you use? I mean, I'm sure that like you're glossing over the technical complexity of, uh, of making this happen, but just anything else on the technical side that you guys have to think about and calculate and do as you try to get these things done. Yeah. The, the, the Woodford shale is, uh, creates its own challenges and where we're at. And, and, uh, one challenge that we've, we've been navigating is understanding where you are in the Woodford shale. There's, there's a lot of signatures that, that are similar and the risks are, if you get up too high in the Woodford, you, you're, your bit life is is much shorter. Um, we we realized that on our first well, and you know we're talking. You know, keep in mind we're we're three miles deep, and then we're you know depending on where you're in the lateral, you're anywhere from you know three to five miles uh, out, and so it, it really sucks if you only get a hundred feet out of a bit, and then That's you have to trip out for, right. for two days. Um, and so you know being in the right spot is is a key. Uh, if you get too low, you, you risk getting stuck. And this is not unique to any, you know, to any play, but it, our depth creates those challenges. And, and, and so we, we learned that our, our drilling team has some stories about bits and what they look like coming out of the hole. Uh, yeah. stuff, stuff that's uh, trophies, if you will, or uh, reminders of, of what can go wrong. <laughs> um, and so it would, to, to be able to kind of navigate that and, and progress where now we kind of know where we need to be. And then we've got the tools or we're putting the tools in place to make sure we're in that, that spot, that window, so that we can get thousand plus foot bit runs has, has really been kind of the, the, the key factor. Yeah. Nice. That, that's what's driving a lot of the improvements now is the, you know, down, downhole tool selection. Um, it, the wellboard designs are, are pretty well um, established now. Uh, but, yeah, there, there's certainly a lot uh, that goes into uh, and that we've learned in the last, you know, the, our first few wells here um, that, you know, each time you do it, you get a little bit better. And then, you know, you see a step change and lateral targeting or, you know, the ability to stay within this very narrow uh, window that gets you a, a better ROP. Then um, you get start to get real excited about where the play can go. That's cool. What other uh, science or is like, have you guys done any, what, whatever you can disclose, I don't want you to say anything you can't, but like other stuff you guys have tried to use, like has there been seismic or anything else? Um, obviously it probably helps XTO drilling more wells, other people drilling more wells in the basin. If you participate in those, you get data, but just wondering like from the science or even technology side, um, what other things you guys have had to utilize to try to wrap your heads around this thing and be the most efficient you can as an operator. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've done uh, a lot of, of our own science uh, in addition to, like you mentioned, uh, data collection from our non-op wells. But, um, you know, we've, we've been I think we've been pretty creative in, in doing science on our own wells. You know, the standard things that everyone does, the, the logging and, um, you know, all those kind of measurements while drilling. And uh, but some of the unique things I think is, um, you know, analyzing cuttings. There, there are a number of processes, mm -hmm. some well-established, some kind of new forefront technologies of um, everything from uh, hydrocarbon analysis to, to, you know, what composition is down there, what's the rock strength, things that, that will help you predict economics and, um, and tool selection. Um, so that's that's some of the stuff that uh, that our geo team really has championed, um, getting a lot of those things in front of us and say, yeah, this this could make sense and it it's uh, could save us money. Yeah, absolutely. What about talk about the uh, the composition of this gas in terms of how rich it is? It's pretty wild. Um, just the amount of gas that comes out of this, these wells, and then just the liquids component is just it's huge and. You guys really 
uh, hit some pretty good timing on getting gas online with commodity prices. And, you know, when you have decent gas price, but then you also get that uplift from the liquids, it's, it's pretty sweet, but, uh, maybe just talk about some of the liquids, rich aspects of this and maybe what causes it, uh, these depths, if you guys know, uh, from the science standpoint. Yeah. Ty, you want to take this one? Yeah. So one of our, one of our board meetings, we were, when we were, Deciding to go drill our second well, one of our investors made the comment. He said, "You guys did a really good job of getting commodity prices up." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, that, that worked out. Um, it's always great to be drilling. We we spun our first well in in May of twenty one, and so um, we've seen service costs uh, increase dramatically since then. Steel prices, uh, rig rates, diesel prices are all are all meaningfully higher. Um, we had in, in the basin in particular commodity you have to have you know supportive commodity prices i think in, anywhere uh, but they've been very helpful to us uh, and uh, our but our, our ips are in the the range of call it you know depending on lateral length uh, and, and we tend to talk in 30 to 90 day ips are um, we don't we don't subscribe to the to the rip it open approach um, uh, we're, we were more in the, the, the slow back approach and maintain pressure over a longer period of time. And so um, we've seen IPs uh, on the oil side in the, you know, 800 to 1200 barrels a day. Um, and then on the gas side, depending on where you're at is in the, you know, call it five to 8 million a day. Um, XTO has ripped open a well um, just in, and we were, we we're grateful. It's another one of the, the benefits of being able to watch different approaches uh, and it reached 24 hour rates of north of 3000 barrels of oil a day and 13 million a day of gas. Um, and so it's there, it's phenomenal production. Uh, our EURs are north of hundred barrels per foot um, on the oil side and, and called a million cubic feet per foot on the, on the gas side. And so they're, 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 they're big wells. Um, and, uh, and in the gas to your, to your question, Max is, is liquid rich. We're talking 1300 to 1400 BTU gas. Mm, good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's great. Um, it's, uh, and, and we're very balanced from a commodity standpoint and, you know, so it's this play, you know, works in, you know, $3 gas, you know, just, just like it does in an $8 gas that we're not complaining. Um, when, when commodity prices go up, but we, we've, we, we drilled our first well, like I said, in May of 2021, we kind of underwrote it in, in early 2021. And so at that time we were looking at 40 to $50 oil and we were in that $3 gas window, 250 to $3. So I, I remember one of our investors saying, why don't you guys sensitize gas? Uh, and it was like, well, we're kind of, we feel like gas is range bound. And, you know, we, we were definitely wrong on that front. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was. Yeah. And so it's a, uh, it's all it's all of it is is great but we're we're beneficiaries of you know if gas is up or oil is up we're 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 somewhat uh, commodity agnostic we're pretty pretty balanced in that yeah this is nice to be balanced and insulated there i will say what, what this is interesting i'd love to get your thoughts on it, max is you know to have oil prices up and gas prices up at the you know similar times um what that does to the service industry, um, you know, for, from a rig standpoint, you know, for a while, yeah, I'd say maybe earlier in this decade, oil prices were were meaningfully up and gas prices were were not, and so you didn't have this rush to both basins, gas and oil basins, maybe that you do right now, and and I, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure exactly what that's how that's impacting our industry, but we feel like it, you know, we're seeing it from a um, a, a rig standpoint from an iron standpoint of that we're competing with multiple bases, not just the Permian, we're competing with the Haynesville, the Marcellus uh, for, for equipment and crews, which is, which is driving prices up, costs up quite a bit. For sure. I was going to, we've got a bunch of different topics we can kind of dive into on this. And some of this is just sort of like the current state of things, which I wanted to talk to you guys more at the end, kind of more macro, and mm-hmm. then also talk about the current state of, capital and stuff like that too and and service costs kind of flow into this but 
before we get off the wells, um, had a question around the depth. Does it make the reservoir, is it more charged? Is there more pressure? Does it impact like the curves, right? Like, do you end up getting a more steady decline or is it the same type of decline that you'd see in a really shallow well? Or just talk about like the reservoir with it being that depth and how does that, uh, how does that impact like decline curves and things like that? Yeah, I'd say um, one of the biggest, uh, the pressure in the drive creates larger EURs. Um, yeah. And from a from an operating cost standpoint, it allows we flow up casing initially, and so you you know, and, and then ultimately these well, all of these wells will end up on on gas lift. But that time frame that they flow, and your your operating costs are so low. Um, yeah. And so they'll, they'll flow for anywhere from three to nine months. I mean, I, and they probably flow for longer than that, depending on where you're on the basin. But the, that's that's probably one of the biggest things uh, a beneficiary of the depth is just the duration of of natural flow before you put it on lift. Um, and ultimately, though, you need that that pressure to the shallower part of the basin is not does not have the same economics. And I say shallower, I usually put it in air quotes because it's still the 10,000 feet uh, <laughs> relative to where it doesn't have the same economics because you don't have the, the same initial drive and the same same EURs that, that you do uh, where, where we're at. And so we kind of we call it core, uh, which is a, probably an overused, overused term, but uh, there, there's a, a, a depth band that we, we think is the core of the basin. And, and, and that's trailhead and XTO or the, the, the operators in that, that area. For sure. Where are the pressures? Is it all across the board? And not pressures in the reserve, uh, reservoir, but pressures in the service side, like you were mentioning around mm-hmm. costs coming up. Is it across the board? Is it some areas on the service side worse than others? I mean, what, uh, just kind of talk more about the service side of it, getting the equipment you need, getting the crews you need, and uh, the challenges, uh, challenges with that. Yeah. I think we've seen, uh, and and this is affecting every every industry. Uh, I'm just going to echo the sentiment. I think, but um, you know, obviously, the people is a is a big issue right now. Um, you know, we had we had a lot of people leave the industry uh, in the last downturn and reluctant to come back, and then you know, compound that with with COVID and um, supplies and steel shortages and um, you know, getting drill pipe is tremendously difficult right now. Um, and, you know, consequently, uh, when you are able to find some, uh, you need, you need to pay for it right then and there, take delivery, uh, or have, you know, it, it helps if you have a, you know, a multi well program, um, you know, guarantees of, of, a larger contract, uh, that's, that's kind of the world that we're, we're living in right now. Yeah, yeah for sure. some data points. Our initial rig that we that we utilize was a, a neighbor's rig that we we moved from. I believe it was Wyoming, um, and it, yep. it, it paid a large rig move. Um, but our day rate was in that kind of fifteen to seventeen thousand per day, and today we're seeing the market anywhere from thirty-five to forty-five, depending on type of rig, and and so it's. Uh, it's doubled uh, and in some cases more than doubled from wow. we're talking a year and a half ago. Uh, and so that's uh, I think there's there's some the service companies are being more thoughtful um, this time around about, OK, do we want to flood the market with with rigs and, and capacity or do we want to manage margins? And uh, and so I think that's putting pressure on it. And, I, and I don't blame them. I, you know, I think it's well known. Um, yeah, the, the challenges of our the cyclical nature of our industry, and and so everybody's trying to balance balance that out. Um, and so, and we're seeing it. I mean, diesel's a big uh, a big piece of our AFE uh, diesel costs, and uh, we initially we were like, okay, do we run two dollars or two fifty a gallon through here? And now we're at now we're at four dollars a gallon on, on diesel costs and. And Russell mentioned the overall service environment. Um, you know, the, every every time the question is, I remember in you know 20, 2014 timeframe, it was like, gosh, we have a lot of a lot of green hats out there, you know. And then and then 
we, we go through the down cycle, everybody leaves. And then, then you, you know, like, how are we, are we going to lose efficiencies when we come back up because we don't have the same people, the same crew, you know, what's going to happen. And so I think we're, we're in that right now. Steel prices is another one. Um, we've seen steel prices come down. We're looking at that the other day, raw steel prices have kind of come more back in line, but casing prices are still elevated from, from where we are many times, you know, hundred percent elevated from, from what our, a year and a half ago when we, we picked up a rig. It's wild. I mean, the industry, it's, uh, it's not easy, right? Like commodity prices come up and then service costs go up and, uh, it's always a challenge. One of the other challenges I think in this basin is the, uh, lack of infrastructure. And this is some of the stuff that we've helped you guys with, but, mm-hmm. uh, talk a little bit about just like you mentioned, you have SWD now you've got a pipeline, but just some of the challenges around bringing on fairly sizable volumes in an area where there may not be as mature infrastructure uh, available. Yeah, we're uh, the infrastructure actually isn't as big of a challenge as, as it may seem, but we're fortunate that XTO put their planted their flag here and, and has a gathering system throughout the basin and 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 brought energy transfer into the into the basin from a gas side. Targa has a legacy position, and there's a few others that um, that are that are in the vicinity. And so, from from a gas standpoint, um, there 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 is capacity, and, and we're utilizing uh, or will be utilizing some of the processing capacity from the, the, that's available from the Barnett Shale. So we're taking right. energy transfers, taking their gas down south, and and there's a lot of uh, unutilized capacity there that's uh, that, that we're able to, to tackle. Um, and, and I'd say from a, from a, a crude side, we're uh, uniquely positioned between call it Cushing and the Gulf Coast, and so there's there's local refineries in Ardmore, um, and and as you work your way up north north to Cushing, and so we're uh, we we really have we've got great partners on that front um, uh, that that are that are picking that up, and, and th- thanks to you guys helping us uh, to find find those partners. Um, the water side is interesting. Um, we, we've looked at a handful of ways to tackle the water piece. These wells aren't, you know, from an, uh, a water oil ratios, ultimately is kind of a one-to-one uh, in the Woodford is what we've seen. So they're not, you know, overly water prone per se. Um, but when you have those volumes, it's still a lot of water. And so we're, uh, right now we're trucking our water um, to our to our SWD, but before we were trucking it 50 miles to a commercial SWD, and those costs add up, especially when diesel prices are higher and, and there's a you know trucker shortage, and and so that that's one of the the reasons why we acquired this SWD was to help help solve that, and ultimately we'd like to get get our water piped there and think it can be a solution for for the basin as a whole. Um, but it's been huge in cutting our water costs, call it dollar, dollar fifty a barrel, um, for us. And so, and the, the other thing, this is somewhat interesting, and this is a, this is a little bit of a plug plug for these guys. Uh, we, there's a group called Aquacat that was formerly Committed Water, and we've had them out on location. They've got a, a filtration system that uh, filters the water, the produced water, down to a level where you can spray it on the surface they have OCC permits and approvals to do that and we did that on our on our first wells location and, and we love to do that it, it, you need a certain level of, of uh, volumes to make it work and so we were you know it was only on our location for a short period of time but it, it's a really cool technology that, that I think would be it's obviously great whenever you don't have to pump it back into the ground you're, you're doing you're doing something for the surface owner and it's you know cost beneficial for you as an operator too yeah. yeah yeah and i'd echo um you know thanks to ancova's help with uh helping us build um kind of the the midstream aspect uh arm of of trailhead that was a goal of ours um we wanted to to you know kind of fully integrate and have that um ability and uh and continue to grow it so uh been really good partners on that front well, cool. I'm going to clip that out and we'll use that as an ad for, uh, for the company. Thank you. Jason's great. And, uh, he's got a wealth of knowledge and his ability to get out there and get those projects done, I think is, is really good and happy to have him, uh, being able to offer that expertise because he's the, he's an engineering brain, uh, that we've got here. But now the area is, 
it's got, you know, decent infrastructure, but it's always interesting to think about, you know, what is capacity? It's such a loaded question. It's like, there's capacity, but like we got this specific location and then you need processing, you need compression, maybe you need uh, water. And it's one of my favorite puzzles to try to piece together, um, kind of built my career around thinking about those problems. But a lot of guys, I think in some areas get spoiled because maybe they, it's just an abundance of wealth. And then you know, maybe they move to another area and they're like, oh, no, like I thought we were going to run a rig and we can't because there's there's something in, impeding that. And so I mean, it's good that you guys have a have that plan in place and you're getting getting the product move and getting good pricing and all those things because uh, it can impact you over time. But we got uh, some probably 10 minutes left here. I want to talk about just like the capital side and private equity world. It's changed so much since uh, you guys probably got your commitment, um, you know, just really this one for you, Ty, or Russell, you can jump in, but just your thoughts on kind of the future of E&P, private equity. You're hearing rumors of guys raising new funds now, but just a uh, high level, how has that world changed and your thoughts on the private equity stuff going into the future? Yeah, I'd say we were um, fortunate on our timing of raising capital um, initially and you know, kudos to Russell and team for, for getting it across the finish line and, and we've got great partners in old iron sides um, can't say enough good things about them we i always tell people we were uh, a company that had raw acreage uh undeveloped acreage through uh through 2020 and that's yeah. a pretty scary uh yeah. situation to be in when you're you know all your equity calls are to 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 pay gna um but fortunately we're we're free cash flow positive now and and i think our equity calls are, are behind us and so uh it, it, it takes a lot of patience to sort of, uh, you know, we, we know a lot of our uh, companies, companies we're friends with that, that got rolled up in those, those timeframes um, consolidated and, and uh, we're, we're grateful to be partnered with Old Iron Sides that, that they didn't see things that way and we were able to see it, see it through. And it's, I think hopefully it will pay dividends for, for the both of us. Um, but yeah, in that time frame, you know, our, our, we're very traditional private equity, I would say. We, we put together a leasehold position, we're proving it up, and then, and then the intent is to, to sell it. Um, or if the market's not there, then we may, we'll, we'll go into the development mode. Um, and maybe that's a different form of capital or it's a recap or something like that. But that doesn't, that, that really hasn't been happening of late. There's not a lot of new acreage positions that people are putting together with kind of the, the uh, lease, you know, drill a few wells and, and, and flip mentality. And so, and we're not really building ours that way either. I'd say, you know, I think anytime you build it to flip it, you're going to, you, you know, you do things differently. And so we're, we're building it to, to run it. But ultimately that's, we look a lot more like the private equity of, you know, call it the 2013 through 2017 than more than, than the investments that people are making today. Um, but to, to answer your question on the landscape, the ca capital is, is precious and people always say that. But it really feels that way now. We've, you know, anecdotally, there's a lot of really quality private equity firms that have really good marks that have have uh, struggled to be able to raise capital, um, and raise raise their next fund, and that's a, a product of our landscape, I think. Um, and and so I think people are having to go different routes to put capital together. And there's there's a lot of great opportunities out there. We've looked at a handful of deals that. Um, that traded we felt like a really good attractive numbers that are um that, that probably weren't there you know four years ago five years ago um, so it is definitely unique um different investor group but those who can raise the capital are, are, are going to have really good opportunities yeah there are definitely opportunities out there for those that can raise the capital but it's increasingly difficult to do so um but you know uh, i think just overall um, larger picture. Uh, uh -oh. there's, there's products. Sorry, I just froze for a second. Keep going. You're good. It's like I'm cutting out. Are we back? I can hear you. There we go. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, there's still a need for us. Um, there's still going to be economic projects and, you know, technology continues to improve. Um, and I think there are um, where there's available capital, it can be put to very good use. 
Absolutely. Well, it, it, I pay close attention to it because it impacts what we do. And, you know, I look at like, I think it's Inverus or somebody puts out a deal that shows like the teams that have gotten funded and it's wild. Like it was in, I haven't seen this chart in a while. I think they did it in 2021 or 2020. And it was something like in 2012, 13, 14, 15, it just was like the number of new teams getting commitments were like, I think it peaked out at like 400 something teams in 2014 or something, or one of the years it peaked and it was like 400 teams. And we were joking around at the time. Cause that was like right around when we started. And so we commodity prices got really bad in 14. And so we're like, Oh no, you know, this is the worst time to try to start something. But then there was like all this, these new teams getting funded and that was kind of our clients. And um, I mean, Mark was like, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a new team that just got, 300 million bucks or whatever, you know? And it was like, every time you pulled up uh, the press releases, there was somebody getting funded. And then in 2020, I think it was like one team. It was like zero, basically. Like they put out the chart and it had gone down to like basically nothing. And yeah. then the M&A market in 2020 was like 1994 level amount of transactions done or something um, upstream and midstream. And so I'm curious to watch to see if capital private equity capital will come back if guys can get funds raised because I think it creates more opportunities um, for us as a service company. But it does still seem like people are being active. It seems like there's still stuff out there to do. I mean, you know, at any at a certain strip price, there's a lot of opportunities. But what do you guys just think about the industry in general and really maybe focus it more on kind of small and mid-sized companies? But like, are we back? Like, you know, it's like Texas every year, like we're back, but are they really back? Um, are we back or are we really back? Like, does it feel, it still feels kind of tepid, even though prices are good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think people are, it seems like people are underwriting to uh, a more conservative strip and maybe some of that is lessons learned in the past maybe but uh it, it does make m a a little more difficult sometimes i right. think that's probably why you're not seeing as much get get done um but i think you know prices beget activity and um you know we we are not in an oversupplied situation and there's still some some discipline on the part of 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 even the larger shops um so you know, hopefully it's a little more sustainable here in the near term. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at some PDP deals. That's and and one of the, especially when, when the strip is heavily backwardated, um, you, you know, you're underwriting to a strip, uh, let's say, but you know, it, it looks like a two years cash flow multiple to them because it's like, you know, we're, Right now, we're at the time we were at hundred plus dollar oil, and so it's like, well, if, if you believe that hundred dollar oil is going to stay there, then then you should not sell your asset at this price. But we can't underwrite to that, and so um, it created some challenges in getting deals done. Is you know what what is the the right commodity price deck, and and uh, and so I think a lot of folks were like, well, let's let's hang on to this. That said. We were we were so low for so long that I think people started getting comfortable with saying, "Okay, I'm getting the number I want, even if I'm not getting the discount rate that I was hoping for." And so, you know, if you had an asset that you've held and you wanted to sell for the last three years, commodity prices coming up allowed you to get a number that that you were okay with, even if the discount rate was was not what you were hoping for. Right. What's exciting outside of the Marietta? Do you guys? I mean, I know that you're probably not out doing something right now, but if you look around the landscape of the lower 48, um, I mean, obviously the Permian is still cooking, uh, you know, gas is kind of looking like it may be structurally higher. We'll see gas tends to rug pull everybody all the time, but of the different things out there that you can even share, what are some exciting areas either in Oklahoma or just around the different basins that you guys, that you guys like to look at or that catches your eye when you see headlines or see results? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're we're in the process of trying to trying to figure out, um, like you mentioned, what what is what is the new world or what is it going to look like in five years, ten years? You know, uh, where are prices going? And that's that's ever evolving. But um, you know, we we keep a, a good eye on most of the midcon. Um, you know, we're we're pretty well versed in in the deals that are out there uh, around us, and uh, you know, we we're and 
multiple data rooms. You know, we we like to keep beat on it on activity and um, around us, but uh, and that's some of our, our background being the midcon, obviously. But um, we have experience on our team and and the Rockies and Bakken and the Permian and um, you know if, if the economics are there um, and the deal's right, um, we'll we'll look at it. Um, so we're uh, maybe a little less targeted in that sense. Um, yeah, so. Go ahead, Ty. I was going to say, I, I'd say w- what we just talked about, I think, is a little bit of a balance of um, of capital and, and returns uh, it cre- is creating opportunities. And so the, the lack of capital means that there are, for those who can get it, means that there are some good opportunities. And I think that's, that's exciting for our industry. And just the, you know, you don't like to see the world hurting or, you know, or, or um, gasoline prices run up, but there's a new appreciation or a little bit. I just had a conversation with my mother-in-law over lunch today uh, about, you know, gasoline prices and, and price gouging and how, you know, and, and so there's, I think it's, it's opened our country's eyes, our people's eyes to, to what we do for a living. Um, there's still a political spin to it, but it's, uh, I think the, the realization that this isn't going to be a, you know, a transition that, that happens overnight and you can't, you can't legislate that. Otherwise you're going to, a lot of people are going to be hurting. So I think that's been, um, it's refreshing, I would say more, more than exciting to just, I think there's an appreciation for, for what we do a little bit more than, than there was, um, I've seen that shift for sure. 2020, it was like uh, this oil and gas is dead. Tech valuations are through the roof. It was like you had to have some kind of tech angle to get any value anywhere. And real stuff was uh, dead. And now real stuff is very much needed. We, <laughs> the world is realizing we can't get away from hard assets. And it's like you can convince yourself that maybe semiconductors or something are like, the the core resource of the world and to some extent they are from the technology standpoint but you still got to have real things you need energy you need commodities yeah. and so it's not going away what about uh anything that's printed lately on the MA side that was surprising either to the high, like someone paid a lot for something or someone paid little or just any on the deal front that you've seen you said you're in a lot of these data rooms or the things that you thought would transact that didn't or that did transact that you didn't think. And if you don't want to call out someone specific, you don't have to, but I just, I'm always curious to hear like what people are seeing on the MA side. And I don't look into the metrics as much. Like I just see something print and I'm like, Oh, interesting. That person sold like for midstream, I might a little more, but for the upstream side, I'm not paying attention to like what these valuations are looking like and just kind of, you know, what's coming across in terms of things that have gotten done, uh, call it in the last year. Yeah. I'd say what's, uh, I'm, We've been talking about the, you know, how many viable locations are left, um, right. you know, and so some of the deals of late, you know, won't name any names, but they're, they're they seem like it's a, you know, hey, we were, you know, we need some locations, and right. so that's uh, I think it's telling. Um, it's interesting, exciting for us. It's a location rich, you know, quality location rich company, um, and so I think that's. There, there was a while where everybody, you know, there's a shift, I think, in M&A that people wanted, they needed to hit their cap, deals needed to hit cash flow metrics, and they still do to a degree, but that was the focus. It was like, hey, there needs to be enough PDP in this deal that I can make sense. And now I think there's a, there's a little bit of a, there's, there's a lot more interest and in, exploration. Yeah, I, I need to generate a certain return, and I, it's hard to do that by acquiring a PDP asset. And so I need something that has meaningful location and, and running running room development on it and so some of the deals we've seen lately look look more like like that like we need to add to our inventory because we're um we're a little concerned about where we sit yeah and and returns should bring capital back to the space right yeah it's like what chuck yates always says he's like we, we had a, a red problem and a green problem and the green problem was obviously the esg stuff and uh, the transition narrative. And then the red problem was the people weren't making money. Uh, so it's really easy to say it's the green thing, why people don't want to invest, but ultimately the red problem, uh, was there and it was glaring, but to the benefit of the consumers, I mean, people had cheap uh, product for years 
but um but i'll we'll wrap it up here guys because i've taken an hour of your time but is this like the first podcast you guys have done you've been on one of these before first one for me first one yeah cool man well that's exciting to get you guys on it's it's different you know part of this was just to like force myself to have conversations talk to people it's been a while since i've sat down with both of you guys probably should have done it sooner hopefully this is something that if you someone's like hey what's going you know what is trailhead about or whatever i think you guys gave a fantastic overview and uh, hopefully you guys get some value out of it and maybe it's a piece of marketing or something that you guys can use but i really do appreciate you guys uh taking the time to do it yeah thanks for having us it was it was enjoyable to do now scratch that off the bucket list yeah yeah all right guys max i think you've done a great job i remember when you first announced yourself on twitter and said you you said you were going to do this you've done a great job of plowing ahead and you've got a great following and and it's always always a good time i appreciate it it's it's uh it's a grind but i think that the benefits of using tech to get out there and talk to people and communicate and spread the word and uh you know like post on Twitter for better, for worse is I think is good long-term, but it's, uh, it's definitely something that I had to get outside of my comfort zone, but we'll get together soon, guys. We've got, a uh, uh, we've got, I talked to Michael recently and we need to figure out a way to get down there and, uh, and, uh, hang out. But, um, but we'll talk soon. Thanks again for coming on. Come for see sure. us. Thanks. Yeah, Max. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely.